Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Uber takes a huge step toward its IPO and the fall of a Silicon Valley punchline. But first, the future of fake news, or as it's sometimes known, fake news. Now, this is an extremely complicated issue, not the least of which is because we don't all agree on what fake news means. For President Trump and some of his supporters, it simply means news stories with which they don't agree or think contains inaccurate information. That's more an argument about biased or bad journalism, not about fake news. And before I get an angry email, please understand I'm not saying this from a partisan perspective. I'm saying it because fake news is a serious problem. And while its history is intertwined with Trump's victory in 2016, it's not really about him or any political candidate or ideology. It's about manipulating us, you and me, to believe things that simply aren't true. Not just spin, but outright falsehoods that can lead us to believe things we otherwise wouldn't. And the bottom line here is these efforts are becoming much more sophisticated, even as platforms like Facebook and Twitter are fighting to stop it. So, for example, you might have heard of something called deepfakes, which is technology that's being perfected now to let people manipulate video to make it seem like someone said something they didn't actually say. And even if you and I choose to vote for different candidates in the fall, we can both agree it's best if we know what each of those candidates did and didn't say. So in 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher, who today has a great piece on what she calls fake news 2.0. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined by Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher, who today wrote about fake news. So, Sarah, let's start with kind of the actors here. Who's creating fake news right now? Dan, I like to put it in three buckets. So you have people who kind of work as just everyday trolls. They could be in the United States or outside of the United States, but they don't work with the backing of a state. Then you have state-sponsored trolls or people who perpetuate fake news. These are people who work as part of sophisticated operations. They could be backed by the Kremlin or other governments. And then finally, you have people who simply produce fake news or misinformation for the sake of making money. These sometimes can be media organizations. They other times can be just everyday people using false commercialization tactics like diet pill scams. But those are the three types of groups that will typically create this stuff. Is it fair to say, and at least when you hear companies like Facebook talk, that they have reduced that last bucket or they've tried to reduce that the financial incentives are not as prevalent as they used to be. So this is more now about influence than it is about money? That's absolutely right. The platforms have taken great steps to make sure that they can reduce the financial incentives of bad actors that are creating fake news just to game engagement and then make ad revenue. So what do they do? They strip advertising rights from pages that repeatedly post false claims, or sometimes they'll actually remove your right to own a page so you can't even buy advertising on Facebook. And it's not just them. Platforms like Twitter and others, they're all taking similar steps to remove that financial incentive because, quite frankly, the bulk of fake news that we saw in 2016, a lot of it was just that financial incentive. Let's fast forward from 2016 to today. And you wrote today that a lot of the key to fake news right now is what you refer to as avoiding 
detection and sounding more human, that you have to create this stuff differently. What does sounding more human mean in fake news terms? So it used to be that a fake news bot or even just a hacked account would scream loud on social platforms, this is my viewpoint, this is what I believe. But what the bots are trying to do now is they're trying to make that conversation sound more like something an everyday human would post. And it's not just what they're saying, too. It's also how they're saying it. So you'd often see botnets that would post very similar tweets over and over across thousands of accounts. That's the type of inauthentic activity that AI can very easily pick up. So instead, they're trying to do things like mimic real conversations of humans and post them at normal times, create diversity in the types of tweets that they're sending so it doesn't look like the same botnet is deploying thousands of them. All these tactics are done to make it look like real people are posting this content so that they can avoid algorithms that would weed them off the platform. You also made a reference to the term you used was hijack real identities. So does that mean my Facebook account is, I don't know, going to start spreading Pizzagate conspiracies? That could be the case. Oh, fantastic. We talked to a lot of people in forensic science and also cybersecurity who said that a really big trend is that bad actors are trying to hack real accounts to sort of, again, avoid the detection of being bots. And they're doing that by hacking your exact accounts and hardware. So one of the examples that we've heard is that malware particularly is effective for this. You send someone some sort of phishing link scam or a picture, they click on it, and then they download technology to be able to access your accounts from your phone or your device. That could be the future of some of the fake news that we're talking about. And that goes both ways too, right? Because if we become conditioned to accept that there is lots of fake news out there, if a politician, for example, puts something up on Facebook that is either factually wrong or offensive or whatever, they can kind of right now just or soon say, well, we were hacked. That wasn't us. Of course you could say that. There are so many ways that you could go about kind of avoiding having to confront the truth. And something that we noted in the article, but we talked at length about with people was that people are very susceptible to these excuses, more so than they were in 2016. We've become, in fact, less discerning because it's just so hard to weed through what's real and what's not in this environment. Well, right. There's no kind of third party kind of verification that we all accept and we all agree, even if it's a Facebook or a Twitter or Snapchat that confirms something was hacked or not. Not everyone believes it. You talked a little bit in the story also about kind of um, micro messaging. So as opposed to simply putting something out on Twitter or on Facebook for mass consumption, you talked about how some of the fake news now is going kind of direct, even going via messaging apps directly to people. Yeah, because you can't detect it. If you take a look at some of these messaging apps, they're encrypted end to end. There's no researcher, academic, lawmaker that will be able to penetrate what's in those conversations. And when we talked to researchers earlier this year that were looking into Facebook, researchers at the Atlantic Council, one of the things that they expressed concern about was that they don't foresee an opportunity to be able to study fake news spreading on these types of platforms. That's incredibly concerning, particularly in developing countries where messaging apps are like akin to the internet. So there's a lot of big threats when you're not able to really take a look and observe what's going on. Sarah, final thing is that let me ask this deep fakes question, which is, do you believe, and when you talk to people at some of these big platforms, are they going to be able to create technology that spots this, or is that going to be impossible for them? Is somebody going to be able to post a video to Facebook, for example, of Trump saying something he didn't actually say, and there's not much Facebook could do about it? There's a lot they can do about it, and there's a lot that they're already doing. They are investing mostly in artificial intelligence to be able to detect when a photo was altered or when a video was altered. There's other platforms that are starting to look into, two new technologies like the blockchain that might be able to help authenticate photos and videos so that if something fake or altered were to show up on a platform, it would become obvious. But again, to your point, we're so far away from that becoming really mainstream and from the platforms mastering that, that we can't necessarily rely on them to be able to weed out every deep fake at this point. I can't believe you're saying we can't necessarily rely on the blockchain. 
blockchain to save us all. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sarah Fisher, media reporter at Axios. My final two on Uber's big hire and a new Silicon Valley lawsuit after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. And now it's time for my final two. And first up is Uber, which today announced that it's hired a chief financial officer named Nelson Chai. Now, why this matters is a bunch of reasons, but let's start with the biggest, which is that Chai isn't replacing somebody at Uber. Instead, he's filling a seat that's been empty for years, even from before Travis Kalanick was booted as CEO. And that leads to the second point. Chai has a long resume, which includes CFO stints at two companies where he worked for a guy named John Thane, who not only is an Uber board member, but is an Uber board member who was brought in by Kalanick during a battle for control last year. Finally, Uber wants to go public next year and you need a CFO to do it. And it probably doesn't hurt that another one of Chai's former CFO stops was the New York Stock Exchange. But it's worth noting that when I asked Chai about the IPO plans, he was a bit circumspect, telling me, quote, I can't say I'm on board yet with going public next year. I've been impressed with the information I've seen, but I don't have enough insight until I really get in there to see if we have the right processes and controls to be a public company. And finally, venture capitalist Mike Rothenberg yesterday settled with the SEC over allegedly misappropriating investor money. Uh, For example, he seemed to use some money that was supposed to go towards investment and firm management for big parties that literally were then parodied on the HBO show Silicon Valley. For his part, Rothenberg then sued a Silicon Valley bank actually one that's called Silicon Valley Bank, blaming it for some of his misfortune. But the bottom line here is that Rothenberg made his name by trying to be larger than life and wanting to make sure everyone knew about it. That also means he made himself a target and now seems to be paying the price. And we're done. Big thanks for listening, whether on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast platforms. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, be sure to follow us all day at Axios.com and sign up for my pro rata newsletter at signup.axios.com. Have a great National Senior Citizens Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another pro rata podcast.